to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews, that would be me, Zara McDonald, that would be you, and producer Annabelle Hi! <laughs> Got him before Zara this week. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Coming up on today's show, what do we make of the rumour that Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick kind of hate each other? The Aussie influencer, who's the first person to be officially slapped on the wrist by an advertising standards board. Taylor Swift's fresh album brings about fresh questions about her past and, last but not least, the Byron Bays. Netflix has snapped up a reality show about Australia's celebrity capital. But first, Zara McDonald, how was your week? Good week, not least because Byron Bays was announced, but we will get to that later. That was just such a little delightful bit of news in my week. Otherwise, this is not even my recommendation, but I found myself very oddly really into Dancing with the Stars this year. And I are you? I have never been into Dancing with the Stars in my entire life. We haven't talked at all about this. No. The new girl who's Renee the Barge. Renee Barge is incredible. Embarrassingly, I have watched her video, the one that they've uploaded on Instagram, so about seven times. Annabelle, you need to watch it. You can't tell who is the professional and who is not. She's also like stunning. I just can't the look routine. away. Anyway. And her active wear. Her active wear is incredible. Sorry, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> so I am super into Dancing with the Stars. Can't stop watching the one big of Dancing with the Stars this year is that that Daryl Summers is back. Okay. I'm so excited that someone else is watching this show. It was like Mitch and my guilty pleasure. We were just flicking. We were watching something on Netflix, which I'll get to when I talk about my week. But we were like, oh, we'll just see what's on free to air for a bit, for a bit of a break. And I put on Dancing with the Stars. And it was supposed to just be for like 10 minutes. We watched the entire episode and I loved it except for Daryl Summers. No offence to Daryl Summers if he happens to listen to Shameless perhaps. <laughs> Just not who I would pick as the host of a primetime show. Well, it doesn't feel as modern. It's very much harping back to like those older days where Dancing with the Stars was on. And I guess that's the idea because the idea behind Dancing with the Stars this year, I think, is like an all-star season. So they've got back a lot of winners, a lot of runner-ups. And I think that's why it's really good to watch this year because everyone's pretty good. Most of the people are pretty good, I should say. So I've been obsessed with the show. I loved Beck Hewitt's routine. I love Beck Hewitt. And then last night I was at dinner at this little pizza bar around the corner from my house for $15 pizza night and guess who was sitting next to me? Oh, my God. How have you waited until now? I know. Was this the story? This okay, the story. Listeners, when we got into the office this morning, Zara and I obviously like catch up, get coffee, whatever. You looked at me and you said, oh, and you went to tell me a story. But like, no, nah, I'm going to save it for the podcast. And I've been like, what is going on? Is it the Beck Hewitt thing? Leighton and Beck next oh to me. Double whammy. <laughs> I was sitting there and I was like to my friend, I could get a photo here. And she was like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, I probably shouldn't. But I was in there, I was like, oh, you never see them in Melbourne. You never barely see them in Australia. I don't even know where they live anymore. But I was genuinely quite starstruck, not least because I've been so obsessed with Dancing with the Stars too. Bit of context for anyone who is not from Australia, Leighton Hewitt is one of our best men's tennis exports over the last 20 years. Of course, we now have Ash Barty, who is my gal. Love <laughs> Ash Barty. But he's a massive name in sport. Beck Hewitt used to be on Home and Away. She was a television actress. They got married really, really young. And now they're kind of Aussie icons. Complete Australian icons. And the best part was, as I said, it wasn't a fancy restaurant. It was $15 pizza night oh, <laughs> on a midweek night. Down to earth, the common man. <laughs> <laughs> they are really common people. So that's not even my recommendation this week, Dancing with the Stars. But, you know, perhaps watch it anyway if you're interested. I read The Good Sister by Sally Hepworth last week. 
I have had this sitting on my desk for a long time now and I've just been meaning to read it but with book club and so many other books going around, I haven't quite got to it. I loved this book. I have read a couple of Sally Hepworth's books. If you aren't across what kind of stuff Sally Hepworth writes, she just writes beautiful Pacey fiction. One of the books that she wrote was set in Sandringham, which is the suburb I grew up in, not this book. So I was like (laughs) finding an incredible reading, one of her books, reading through old restaurants that I used to go to. But The Good Sister is a really good pacey fiction. The last few times I've read books, I found myself trying to desperately predict the end and try to spoil it for myself. And I don't know why I'm in this mood. And for this book, I just didn't do that. And I felt like it really took me in directions that I probably wasn't expecting because I was like very present in the book. So I really, really recommend that book. I'll put a link in our show notes. It's called The Good Sister by Sally Hepworth. An incredible holiday read if you're going on one. An incredible midweek read if you're not. One for book club in the future, perhaps. I would recommend. Interesting. How was your week? I had an interesting week. I don't know if I've told you this story, Annabelle. I've definitely told Zara already, but I'll let you and the listeners in. On Thursday night, I had to drive four and a half hours to where we were celebrating my sister's birthday. She's currently living rurally for like the space of 10 weeks. And we thought, okay, it's her birthday. Let's go out there and spend the weekend in rural Victoria, which was lovely. But I had to drive by myself at night. And I've always had a fear of driving at night for at least the last two or three years. I don't know what it is. I'm totally fine driving during the day, quite enjoy long drives as well. As soon as it's nighttime, I get really anxious. And I realized not so conveniently halfway through this trek into the country that I couldn't see Like I couldn't see properly and I was looking into the distance and every time, like you guys would know with long rural drives, it's very, very dark. Super dark. Until you have a car with headlights coming towards you. And every time that happened, I almost felt blinded. Like I could see the bright light and then everything else was pitch black and it was incredibly scary. So the little anxious soul that I am, I did have a panic attack on the side of the road at like eight o'clock at night in the middle of nowhere, all of my family were like frantically texting me. Mitch was calling me to be like, where are you? Like, we can't even help you No right one now. can really, can they? So scary. Probably the scariest of all the panic attacks I've had because I was on the side of the road and then cars would like whiz past me at 120 k's an hour or whatever. <laughs> and your whole car, your little car shakes. Yeah. So anyway, long story short, I got there safe and sound. I'm obviously alive right now here doing the podcast, but I went and saw an optometrist and I have vision loss and I'm short-sighted. And now I have to legally wear glasses when I drive at night because I can't see. Like, it's a legitimate thing. I said to you, there's no better vindication than vindication from a doctor. Like when you feel like you're going a bit nuts and you're like, I don't know if I've made this up in my head, but you hadn't. Yeah. I also think COVID last year, it's one of those things where I wasn't doing long drives last year. It probably got worse over the last 12 months, but I didn't realise. Also, we weren't driving at night. No. Because we weren't allowed to go anywhere. We had a curfew. (laughs) Like we weren't allowed to leave the house in the dark. Do you have a recommendation? I do. Kind of ironically, just talking about driving at night, I want to recommend Drive to Survive on Netflix, (laughs) (laughs) which is about Formula One. I am up against it trying to recommend this to the listeners because people have been recommending this to me for at least six months. Rhiannon in our office has been badgering me to watch this show. It is about Formula One. It is behind the scenes, talking to all the drivers, looking at the industry. I know it sounds boring as shit. But as far as sport documentaries and sport series goes, this is one of my favourites. I'm already through season one in the matter of a couple of days. So please watch it. If you liked the AFL doco that we've recommended, we both really loved earlier in the year, 
you will also love Drive to Survive on Netflix. You know, it's funny that you say that because a lot of people have been recommending this to me as well. Mm. And I've just been a bit like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. But the more I'm hearing about it, the more I actually do want to watch. It also reminds me there's a good netball documentary apparently out if you're interested in women's sport. I haven't watched it yet, but I intend to. That's called Everything is Possible. So sport documentary central here. (laughs) They're so good. If you have some women's focused ones, I would really like to watch them. So please come and DM us on Instagram. We're at Shameless Podcast. I want your recommendations because I'm obsessed with watching stuff about sport right now. Hey, a quick little announcement before we get into our first segment. We announced last week, I think it was on Friday, but I've lost track of all my days, <laughs> that we are kind of dropping a new podcast in the Shameless Podcast feed. I mean, not even kind of. We really yeah. are. <laughs> it's called Scandal, guys. This has been our baby for the last four or five months and we are bloody excited to say the very, very least. Yeah, you're so right. I am so excited to get this out into the world, Mish. It is obviously no secret that we are obsessed with celebrity content at all. I mean, it's what we've made our entire <laughs> <laughs> jobs over and we're really obsessed with historical celebrity content yeah absolutely and we know there are a lot of podcasts doing incredible stuff in the historical look back space but what we want to do is focus on celebrity scandals there are millions throughout history so many of them we're just learning about now Zara because they happened before we were even born others are in Australia that no one seems to cover if they're from overseas we want to talk about the Australian controversies that shaped how we think and feel about people today yeah and one of the biggest ones that that we have been itching to deep dive and tell Mish, which will be our first two-part series, is, of course, the affair and nude photograph leak between Lara Bingle and Brendan Favola. That was a story that absolutely seized the Australian media landscape for a very long time over Mm. the course of four or five years. And I think it's a really important story to kind of revisit. Yeah, so some backstage info. We've actually hired a researcher at Shameless to help us across this series. The stories will range from the 1950s to the 2010s. We'll go everywhere from Melbourne and Sydney all the way over to London and Hollywood to look at a range of different stories. There'll be highbrow, lowbrow, everything in between cannot bloody wait to begin with Lara Bingle and Brenda Favola. We dropped a little Easter egg in an episode about a month <laughs> a <little> while ago. <laughs> we are obsessed with this story and we know you guys are too, so we can't wait to kick off with them. Yeah, it should be noted, of course, that these episodes are dropping on a Monday morning, which yes, does mean our in conversations will be rested for a little bit, but do not stress, as we mentioned on Instagram last week, we have interview content coming for you. We've got mm. actually another little project that we've been working on too, so do not stress about that. We will reveal more when we can, but interview content is coming for now we're going to Lara and Brendan not this Monday but next (laughs) all things scandal I'm so excited I know should we get into the first segment let's do it we are starting with Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively Michelle because they've kind of blown up on TikTok at the moment they have so I was surprised to see this floating around on my TikTok feed when Really, this story is one from a few years ago, right? So Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick starred on A Simple Favour. That was a movie that was released in 2018. They obviously would have filmed it, what, 2016, 2017. Yet it's only three years later that rumours and whispers are coming out that despite starring on this movie together, despite doing a lot of PR for that movie, the two actresses kind of despise each other. Yes, and we have many, many feelings about this story, which we will get into. Little angel and devils on our shoulder, I guess, (laughs) Mish. But I think essentially to explain what's happened to you and how this sort of rumour has blown up to such a degree is that a podcast by the name of Celebrity Memoir Book Club, which is an incredible concept, by the way, they go back and read through celebrity memoirs and kind of explain them to their audience. Love that. They have recently been reading Anna Kendrick's newest memoir. And so they've been deep diving Anna Kendrick news. And so it all started when one of the hosts of this podcast released a TikTok video where she said this. 
So rumor has it that by the end of A Simple Favor, Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick were not speaking. They were basically enemies and their press tours had to be booked separately. So my question is, what do you think went down and whose fault do you think it is? On the one hand, Blake Lively famously did not get along with her other co-star, Leighton Meester, so that's points off for Blake. But I've also heard that Anna Kendrick is disrespectful and rude to waiters, uh, bartenders, and fans. So Mish, this TikTok video was watched by more than 350,000 people and it kind of snowballed from there. I mean, the duo did follow-up videos and those were viewed hundreds of thousands of times too to the point where mainstream news started picking this up. Yeah, exactly. Even local news, Pedestrian was writing about it. A lot of people are very, very interested and invested. And I'm curious... I want your opinion. Do you think people are invested because we're talking about two celebrities? Do you think they're interested because we're talking about two women? Both. Absolutely both. I mean, I think this is a really interesting part about this story. And when we were going back and forth in the office before we jumped on mics, we were like, this story is really interesting because as consumers and as readers and as celebrity fanatics, would we say Mm. that, we're really pulled into this story. Like I've been watching the TikToks and part of me thinks, well, yeah, I care because they're celebrities and I care because they went on this entire press tour for The Simple Favour and were able to sort of have this incredible chemistry On on screen. And it's really interesting to try and watch that and see like, is the body language something that I've missed? But on the other hand, I think part of the reason a lot of people do care is because they are women. I can't really imagine if it was like, I don't know, I'm trying to think if it was a Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. Oh, no, I would care about them, actually. (laughs) That's what I was kind of ruminating on as well. Like part of my gut goes, oh, it's because they're women. We love the catfight narrative. We really feel this suspicion towards female friendships in the public eye. And I absolutely acknowledge that. But I'm not sure how much weight to give that argument here. And I genuinely would be interested to hear what the listeners think on this as well. Like, do we care about male friendships that are fractured? And I think we do. I'm pretty sure we see plenty of headlines out there about male celebrities who don't get along on set or male celebrities who are a bit bratty on set. And that was certainly an undertone with this story that Anna Kendrick is difficult to work with and Blake Lively didn't get along with Leighton Meester on Gossip Girl. So maybe she doesn't get along with any of her female co-stars. Like, I'm not sure how gendered this is and I keep going around in circles. Well, it's a bit chicken and egg, right? Because I think part of the reason it is news is because the rumours about women being difficult to work with are more likely to come to the surface, Mm. right? So we're more likely to hear this story simply because they are women. I don't know if we're more interested because they're women, but we're more likely to hear about the story. I mean, the interesting part about this story is there is not a lot of evidence. (laughs) There's not a heap of evidence. If you go back through these TikToks, and we'll put the link in our show notes as well, It's a little bit flaky, but you have people who worked at Lionsgate, which was the studio, I think. Production company, Production studio, you know, the thing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Saying they didn't get along. You also have a bunch of old clips where their body language is pretty off. And there aren't many of them because for every one clip where their body language is a bit off and their tone is a bit off, there's also four clips where they're completely fine. But to be honest, that's really it. Just tiny moments where the band is a bit off. And when I say the band is a bit off, do you guys know what I mean? You know when like two friends are kind of joking around, but like one of them's not really laughing. I think it happens as well. Like I'm sure in any friendship, it's probably happened with us before Zara, where one of us is in a bad mood. The other makes a joke that they would make on any other day. But instead of that being kind of light and bubbly and funny, the other person takes it personally because they're not feeling the best that day. That's certainly the vibe in one video in particular. What kind of annoys me about this story though is that there's this one interview where Blake and Anna 
are probably exhausted. Like they're on a press junket. They've probably been doing interviews for the last eight hours, back to back to back, answering the same boring questions from different interviewers. It's not entirely surprising that they're probably a little bit over it at this point and want to get home to their families and their partners. For media publications to specifically take a screenshot or an image at the one millisecond in a video where they look like they're rolling their eyes at each other or the one moment where things are a little bit off or a little bit awkward or a little bit exhausting kind of drains me because you could just as easily take a screenshot from one of the interviews they did on YouTube that we watched where they had their hands on each other's chairs and they were laughing into each other's personal spaces and the body language indicated that these two women actually quite like each other. I just wish that journalists were a little bit more unbiased or like not so misleading with the image choices that they make because the image choices in these articles are kind of manipulative. I 100% agree with you. I think there's very much a case with some of the reporting around this story that journalists know the story that they want to tell, so they pick and choose the evidence that they want to use to Mm. kind of prove their own point when there's also lots of evidence to say the opposite. It has been very interesting to go back and watch two people who are professional actors in this press junket and try to dissect their body language because I keep thinking if I was working along someone that I really didn't like, my poker face would be absolutely terrible. Like, I don't think I could do it. Mm. Do you guys think that you could? I think I could. I don't think I could. But then again, we're not actors. That's the thing. You (laughs) reckon you could? I think if if it was my job, yes, I could rock up and just for the sake of a camera being in my face, put on a smiley, happy disposition. I wouldn't want people to be asking questions about it. So I agree with you. I could put on a smiley, happy disposition, but your body language never lies. You know what I mean? Like I'm not a professional actor. So yeah, maybe my face would be saying one thing, but my body would be saying something entirely different. And I can't promise that I would commit to that. I mean, the obvious question here is, does this story even matter? And the obvious answer is, of course, it absolutely doesn't. I think that there's a lot to be said about how America is still in the throes of a pandemic right now, that they are still needing sugar and distraction. And a story like this one is so much more likely to blow up right now than ever because people are just looking for light relief. But I also think it speaks to the power of random people on TikTok. I'm finding Mm. TikTok incredible at the moment, TikTok's ability to let random stories blow up from random TikTok users. Yeah, and it's not even TikTok, it's Instagram as well with all the anonymous Instagram accounts that are coming out. Like you mentioned before that people who worked on the film at Lionsgate have given quotes. They're anonymous. They're unnamed sources at Lionsgate. And I do worry about us treating TikTok and Instagrammers who probably have no background in journalism, no background in investigation work, being treated as kind of on the same playing field as legitimate celebrity journalists. Like I'm not sure how much weight we should actually give these stories. And I think there is an attitude online that if it's said on an Instagram account or if it's said on a TikTok account, it must be true. And I just really (laughs) want to rally against that. That's so not the case. Blake Lively's team have openly admitted that she's not always friends with her female co-stars and have pushed back on the narrative that she needs to be friendly with everyone. I really loved this quote back in 2010. So 2010, rumours swirled that she wasn't friends with Leighton Meester despite the characters of Serena and Blair supposedly being best friends on Gossip Girl. In response to that drama, Blake Lively's publicist told the media, Blake and Leighton have never been best friends and never professed to be. Blake goes to work 
does her job and goes home. I fucking <laughs> love right. that. That's all she has to do. Absolutely. And I think it's incredible as well because it's like, yeah, I don't know if Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively got on. I don't think it necessarily matters that much. But it's like they've also never pretended to be best friends. Mm. They've sat through a press junket and played the roles that they've had to play, but they've never come out and said, we are two peas in a pod. And so for that reason, I'm interested in people wanting to tear that apart when there's kind of not much to tear apart. Yeah, and let me say, they did a good job on that movie. A simple <laughs> favour is the weirdest film I've ever seen. I think about it at least once a week. I can't get it out of my really? head. Once a week? Have you no, seen it? I have seen it. It is so Michelle, weird, Annabelle. Michelle, queen of hyperbole, Andrews. <laughs> it lives in my head rent free, but there's simply not enough time to go into it. Okay. I think we're just going to simply leave it there. Part of the pun. Coming up after the break, the Aussie influencer, who is the first person to be officially slapped on the wrist by an advertising standards board. And then what do we make of the Byron Bays? But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Michelle, a simple favour. Andrews, what have you got? My first story. Khloe Kardashian released a statement on her leaked unfiltered picture. That is from Teen Vogue. Too long didn't read. She completely missed the memo of what anyone was upset about last week. Yes. So as you guys will have remembered, last week we reported that an unfiltered bikini photo of Khloe Kardashian was doing the rounds on the internet and the family were trying to pull it off the internet because she didn't want it up there Mm. apparently. So we covered that story pretty in depth and then it was like the day that our episode dropped, Khloe actually did two things. The first thing was that she went on Instagram live and was kind of like pulling up her top to show her body and to show that this wasn't filtered, this is what I look like. And the second thing she did, Michelle, was she uploaded a statement about this photo. If you'll allow me, I will read a couple of quotes from this statement. She wrote, this is me and my body, unretouched and unfiltered. The photo that was posted this week is beautiful, but as someone who has struggled with body image her whole life, when someone takes a photo of you that isn't flattering in bad lighting or doesn't capture your whole body the way it is after working so hard to get to this point and then shares it to the world, you should have a right to ask for it not to be shared. She then went on, I think the interesting part is, Mish, when you said she kind of didn't read the room or kind of didn't really produce a statement that people were wanting... I think it was this line. She said, I am not perfect, but I promise you that I try every day to live my life as honestly as possible and with empathy and kindness. It doesn't mean that I've not made mistakes, but I'm not going to lie. It's almost unbearable trying to live up to the impossible standards that the public have set for me. Again, I feel sympathy for Khloe Kardashian. I want that to be really, really clear. I do not think she has always had it easy. But one quote that a TikTok user actually used this week to talk about this statement has stuck with me, and that is, you cannot rage against the machine when you are the machine. Yeah. Khloe Kardashian is someone who has profited off diet lollipops and weight loss shakes and Plastic surgery, let's be real. Like no one can tell me this woman hasn't had plastic surgery. I refuse to be gaslighted and be told to swallow something that is very clearly not true. I have two eyes and I can see it for myself. So as much as I feel sympathy for her, I do think this statement is a lie. To say you've always been honest with your followers and you try to live your life with empathy for your followers and your fans, you've actually profited off the negative body image and the harmful, toxic beauty standards that you've put out into the world. Yes, you are a victim, but you also have directly cashed in on that system. And to say that it's all the public's fault is just kind of bullshit to me. Like kind of look inside and look to your own family before you point the finger elsewhere. 
It's a really interesting thing to say society, the public is at fault without recognising that you are society and public. It's like someone sitting in traffic saying traffic's really bad, mm. not realising that they are contributing to that traffic too. And it's not even the guy in the middle of the traffic, it's the person at the head of the bloody traffic jam. I don't know if this metaphor makes any sense no, anymore. It's like a truck being kind of across four <laughs> lanes really of running traffic. Yeah, well, yes, we are. It's like a truck being across four lanes of traffic and then looking back and being like, oh, traffic's really bad today. Like, yes, you're holding up the traffic. <laughs> yeah, and you might not be able to get anywhere, but no one else can either. <laughs> this is that We boat. nailed that. This is the, Su- <laughs> this is the Suez Canal. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I do think she absolutely cannot argue that society sets impossible standards for women or people in general, when she is responsible directly for perpetuating them. And I do agree with you. I think the lack of self-reflection here is completely astounding. And to be honest, embarrassingly, I'm a bit surprised that she had time to read the room, she had time to read what people were saying, and she still misread the room to such a degree. I am disappointed, but as I say, I feel sympathy for her in the same way that you do. But I do feel more empathy and more sympathy for the young girls who follow her who might be directly affected by this. 18-year-old Michelle would be directly affected by this. And I I feel sorry for her and I feel sorry for everyone else like her. Luckily, now I'm in a better place in my life where I'm not directly impacted by stuff like this. But there are plenty of people of all genders, all ages, all life experiences who would be affected by this. And I care about them a lot. I also briefly, before we move on, want to touch on the Streisand effect. This was raised by a number of listeners this week that I find really, really interesting. At the time of recording the episode last week, Zara, the image of Chloe had been removed everywhere. We truly saw that the internet was scrubbed clean. And yet by the time that the episode went live, it had popped up again on a number of different news publications who kind of decided to go, fuck this, we'll run the gauntlet and we'll put it up even if they decide to pursue us legally because massive media publications have the budgets to take that risk. We were kind of saying, oh, wow, look at how effectively they've removed this. (laughs) And yet it was back up. And a lot of listeners said it was due to the Streisand effect, which is a social phenomenon that came about when Barbara Streisand went to the ends of the earth to try and protect her home address. So she had bought this home. She didn't want anyone to know about it. She tried to scrub the internet clean of this information. And yet by going to that amount of effort, in 2003, she inadvertently drew further attention to it. So by trying to remove it, everyone suddenly cared and everyone was like, what is this thing you don't want us to see? If she had just let it be, it would have gotten far less attention and it would have been far less invasive for her personal privacy. Yeah, and I think in the case of Chloe Kardashian, if this was a photo floating around the internet that wasn't removed or attempted to be removed, we wouldn't be here talking for the second week in a row about it. Yeah, 100%. My second story, the hardest choice. Which family members won't join 30 mourners at Prince Philip's funeral? That is from The Times. I'm sure nobody has missed the story this week. Prince Philip died on Friday, Australian time. He was 99 years old. Buckingham Palace released a statement saying he died at Windsor Castle and spoke of the Queen's deep sorrow. Yeah, I don't think anyone's denying that Prince Philip has a pretty complicated legacy, particularly given so many of the problematic and outwardly racist quotes that exist in his legacy. One thing I can say for sure is that I probably wouldn't have wanted his life that much. I wouldn't have wanted to be the kind of royal that he was, but that Mm. is just me. I have to be honest about this story, though, and this may be my own ignorance, and I wonder if you two agree with this. I was surprised by how much coverage there was about his death. I mean, I knew that his death was going to be a deal, but I didn't think that every show was going to be interrupted by news alerts about his death and things like that. Dare I say, I think 
we're three women in our well, 20s yes. and naturally we won't have as much of a connection with a 99-year-old whose biggest moments in public consciousness would have happened before we were even born. So I know that the older people in my life did care more about this. Of course, everyone cares about the death of a public figure, but I think for a lot of people, they were genuinely grieving. I don't have any strong thoughts about it. I think a lot of this has to do with generational divides. I think so. But then you hear a story out of the ABC this week that said 75% of all complaints directed to the ABC about Prince Philip coverage related to the fact that they had interrupted a TV drama called Vera. (laughs) That is a drama that's not targeted at people our age, Michelle. (laughs) It is targeted at the people who have kind of seen Prince Philip in the public eye. So it kind of goes both ways, I guess. But a couple of things about this story, it does make me think very much about how huge it's going to be when the Queen, who is in excellent health, I should say, does Mm. eventually pass. As we said in the headline, the funeral is going to be held in the UK. The UK are still under COVID restrictions. Only 30 people can go to the funeral. Prince Harry has flown back from LA for the funeral. Meghan is staying in LA under doctor's advice. Thank God I think there's not been as much criticism for her as I thought there were going to be. But I I wonder if it's because people jumped the gun and were like, she'll be damned if she does, damned if she doesn't. I agree. I think tabloids were thankfully, in a tough place because there was a big groundswell of support for Megan on Twitter before the statement had officially come out as to what exactly she was planning on doing. I mean, she's a heavily pregnant woman and she's flying or would be flying in the middle of a pandemic. I don't think anyone would actually expect her to do that. It is interesting. We only had a conversation last week or the week before, could Prince Harry and Prince William patch up their damaged relationship? And maybe this being brought together in the morning of their own grandfather would be the time to do it. You were the one last week that said they'll never get back together. I know, and you were the wise old owl who said it's a long life, Michelle Andrews. It is a long life. Apparently it's been a long week. Look at where we are now. I know. So just a quick note on who actually is going to go to this funeral. It's thought that all of Prince Philip's kids and all the grandkids will be there, so that brings the total to about 20. The children of Princess Margaret, who is the Queen's late sister, are also expected to attend. But that's kind of it, Michelle. Like no kind of extended family members, no cousins, no extended friends. My third story actually... Actors come forward with allegations of racist slurs and discrimination on Neighbours set. That is from The Guardian. Yeah, Mish, not a good story to come out of probably what is the biggest staple Australian soap opera that we have. Yeah, Neighbours and Home and Away. Yeah, exactly. So we've got three actors who have come forward alleging racism on set. The first one was Sharina Clanton. The second one was Maine Wyatt. And just yesterday, Sharon Johal came forward with her own 1,500-word statement that was published on her website detailing her own experiences on set. Yeah, a pretty heartbreaking statement at that. Sharon did write in that statement that she tried to deny bury and ultimately survive the racist taunts from her colleagues. She also claimed that Fremantle Media, the production company behind the show, failed to take any real meaningful action despite her making complaints and despite other people of colour on set making complaints also. And I think it really raises the very clear difference between diversity, which is of course important But inclusion, it's one thing to have a diverse cast, but to actually include that cast and make people of all walks of life feel comfortable is a different thing. It's a step forward and it really does seem from all accounts that Neighbours and Fremantle Media failed to make that next step. 
Yeah, she also said that she had to seek external counselling and wasn't supported by her fellow castmates during some of these really distressing moments. I mean, as we said at the start of this story, Miss Sharina Clanton was the first to go public. She said on Instagram, it's been lonely, triggering and traumatising to work in such a culturally unsafe space. She added that she would never work for the Network 10 show again. Yeah, we will link Sharon Johal and Sharina Clanton's comments on this story so that you guys can have a read. We're not going to read out all the different racial slurs that these women and Main Wyatt have experienced on set because it could be triggering for some listeners. But if you do want to see what they were subjected to, please go and read those statements via our show notes. Fremantle Media did issue a response. They said, we do not tolerate behaviour that does not align to our anti-discrimination, equal employment opportunity, harassment and bullying policy and take all complaints seriously, investigating all allegations fairly and thoroughly. Sorry for rolling my eyes at that but I just find that statement to be a little bit rich when we have so many people coming forward saying they failed to do exactly that until it was made public. It's just not good enough that when it's behind closed doors, they don't take it seriously until it's a national media storm. Yeah, absolutely. It will be interesting and I hope desperately that Fremantle Media have a much-needed wake-up call about this and make some really significant and fundamental changes to what's going on on set. He is hoping, my God, ready for some sugar? Hit me. My fourth story. Sophie Turner reacts to new Taylor Swift song allegedly about Joe Jonas. That is from page six. (laughs) I bloody love this story this week. In case you missed it, and I'm sure most of our listeners did not, Taylor Swift re-released her entire Fearless album last week. It was initially released, as we know, in November 2008. Fun fact, a week to the day after Barack Obama was first elected president. Throwback. Real throwback. It sold more than 10 million copies at the time, won a Grammy for Album of the Year and did kickstart her incredible career. Yes, she was very well known at the time of releasing this album, but this sort of sent her into a new stratosphere. As has been really well documented, she left her old label, Big Machine, in 2018. As we know, old mate Scooter Braun ended up with the original recordings <laughs> of her first five or six albums. She then vowed to re-record them all to devalue his ownership of her, her music. Which I kind of fucking love. I love that this happened to her and she was like, I've refused to let this man profit from my old work. And it's a clever business move. So these albums that she's re-recording are not only near identical to the first Mm. albums. You also get bonus tracks from what she refers to as The Vault. So she's giving you additional music on these albums. So if you're a Taylor Swift fan, what reason do you have to listen to the Big Machine version of the album when you get extra stuff new stuff, fresh stuff on her own privately owned album. Yeah, exactly. And I think the thing about this is it's really interesting to listen to the new recorded Fearless album because I think what I forgot about when I listen to music is you're not just singing along to the lyrics and sort of the beat, I guess, to a song. But you're also singing along with the artist's intonation. Mm. And if she's re-recording this, she sort of doesn't enunciate exactly the same words as she used to. And it's just a very interesting thing to listen to. Her voice also sounds so much more mature and so much almost more wide-ranging, doesn't Mm. it? Yeah, I totally agree with that. What I have been thinking about a lot since listening on repeat to Fearless this week is what is going to happen with the next album that she re-releases. So for those who are not fanatical Taylor Swift fans like myself, she will next be 
be tackling Speak Now. This was released two years after Fearless. And there's one song on the Speak Now album that I think Taylor Swift would regret. That song is called Better Than Revenge. It is reportedly about Camilla Bell. So back in 2010, Taylor released this song. And I think over the past decade, societal moods have shifted. So Better Than Revenge includes the lyric, she's not a saint and she's not what you think. She's an actress. She's better known for the things that she does on the mattress. Now, a lot of rumours swirled at the time that Taylor Swift never denied that this was a song about Camilla Bell, a well-known Disney actress, stealing her boyfriend at the time, Joe Jonas. Yes, and you did have stealing in inverted commas there as well. But Taylor Swift has actually acknowledged this single and the kind of controversy around it. She told The Guardian, I was 18 when I wrote that. That's the age you are when you think someone can actually take your boyfriend. Then you grow up and realise no one can take someone from you if they don't want to leave. Do you think she'll put this track on her her new album? I don't think she should. I think I would be really disappointed as a fan of hers because I think this is the one move she's made in her career. I mean, she's made a couple that I definitely don't agree with, but this one... I think was a pretty bad mistake. She was really young when she made it though. And again, this is the problem with becoming famous when you are perhaps not mature enough to make decisions that you'll agree with in five, 10 years time. If she re-released this, I would have a lot of questions for her. I don't think she will. I think the fact that she acknowledged that she wrote this at 18, she's acknowledged that she doesn't hold those beliefs anymore, tells me that if she does anything, she should either write a single from the perspective of Camilla Bell or she should write an apology track or write a revisited version of this song that is not slut shamey in the way that Better Than Revenge was. I think she will as well. Just on one of the newest songs that she released that does relate to Sophie Turner, as we said in the headline, she released a single called Mr. Perfectly Fine last week. She released this from The Vault, as she's calling it. She'd written it in 2008. She posted a pretty funny tweet this week, Mish, that was me in 2020. Life is chill writing songs based in fiction (laughs) to avoid drama feeling pretty grown up my 2008 music from the vault in a goblin voice release no i was wondering if you were gonna i don't know i actually didn't know what i was gonna do anyway (laughs) the quote was release mr perfectly fine anyway it's a great track it was written about joe jonas it's pretty cutting about joe jonas sophie turner now the wife of joe jonas posted the song on her instagram story saying it's not not a bop and taylor (laughs) responded by reposting her story saying forever bending a knee for the queen of the north a reference of course to her game of thrones character look at least she's mended one bridge from that era hopefully she can mend some other ones as well one down one to go my fifth and final story for today's quick and dirty anna heinrich post pinged by ad watchdog amid stricter influencer rules that is from the age if you missed it this week anna heinrich of course a very well-known bachelor alum and now a huge influencer on instagram was kind of slapped on the wrist, but I would say the biggest slap went to the brand that Anna Heinrich did this post with called Runaway the Label. So what was the post itself? In February, a photo of Anna standing in her hallway wearing a green outfit, kind of like a green two-piece with a long maxi skirt, was captioned, turning my apartment into a runway, then back to my PJs I go, wearing at Runaway the Label. This was picked up by a new advertising watchdog called 
called the Australian Association of National Advertisers. They recently redid their code of ethics when it comes to advertising on Instagram. And this post, in Australia anyway, is the first post to be found to not be clear enough when it comes to disclosing a paid sponsorship. So the assumption here is that this is not just a dress she was sent for free and is just wearing that she was actually paid to post this. Yes. Right. It is interesting, isn't it? I think one thing that we've spoken about on the podcast at length is how there, for so many years, has seemed to be no real accountability for influencers who are not disclosing paid partnerships and that people can just have ads filling their Instagram feed without any kind of slap on the wrist. Mm. So I guess this is one step. It does go away, I guess, to explain why so many people are upset that Celeb Spellcheck shut down their page this week because they were another kind of avenue to call out influencers for sort of shitty paid collabs. Yeah, the interesting thing about this for me is that I feel like I've got a very good nose for sponsored content that hasn't been disclosed properly. Like I find it quite irritating when I scroll through my feed and see a sponsored post. I'm like, where is your hashtag sponsor or hashtag partnership on this if you're receiving money for it? Like when people are holding up mints or holding up a shampoo or whatever. This, I don't think I would look at and instantly think that's a paid partnership. Often with clothes, for people who aren't aware, in the industry, clothes are often loaned or gifted Very, very rarely, in my experience anyway, do clothing brands actually want to pay influencers very much. Maybe they just don't want to pay us. (laughs) True. No, so true. So true. But I wouldn't look at this and instantly think that's a sponsored post. So for this to be the first one to ever be caught in Australia really boggled my mind. I think there is a lot to be said for the fault of the brand as well as the fault of the influencer. I mean, we have been approached by a few brands. It's actually more than a few, Mish, who have asked us to not disclose it being an ad. I remember once a brand came to us and asked us to just drop their product name 12 times across a few episodes. Which sounds like when they said this to us, we thought it was batshit crazy. We're like, what do you mean? How could we physically, like we wouldn't, first of all, it goes against everything that we stand for at Shameless Media to do that. And it's so misleading to our listeners. But as if anyone wouldn't raise a red flag to be like, why is Shameless now dropping the name of this very niche product 12 times? <laughs> it's like it can't be good advertising. Where did they pull that number from? 12? I can't remember random. if it was 12, but it was like it a It was a lot. It was oh a lot. God. And we were like, this is silly. But they also specifically said, do not tell anyone this is a paid partnership. We want this to almost be subliminal advertising. Yeah, they wanted it to be like native advertising, but native right. advertising by definition has to be disclosed as advertising. I mean, regardless, I think this is a really good thing because I agree with you, Michelle, I would not have realised that this was sponsored and I think I have a pretty good eye for what is sponsored on Instagram. So if this is setting a precedent, then I think it's really important. One bit that I think the listeners will find interesting is that another complaint against Anna was thrown out. She did work with Crown Hotels for a paid partnership and used the hashtag Crown Partner. Apparently that's totally fine. I've read some ad guidelines that say it's better to use sponsor. We used to use hashtag shameless partner. We've now moved to hashtag shameless sponsor because we were told we needed to. Well, I would be interested and let's poll this on your say Friday. But if someone sees the hashtag crown partner, I would think that the average person would consider that paid. Well, that's why we used to use it. But now we've moved to shameless sponsor just so there is no ambiguity. Is that all you've got for me? That is all I've got. Thank you, next bitch. It was the news out of Byron Bay this week you would have been hard-pressed to miss. Yep, the celebrity and linen capital of Australia is about to be centre stage with Netflix commissioning a reality show called Byron Bays, which promises to follow influencers who live in the region. Some people are happy, i.e. me and maybe you guys, (laughs) but some people, i.e. the people that have lived in Byron for quite a long time, are not. Mish, what were your first thoughts when you saw the show had been greenlit by Netflix? First thought, and I know 
where you stand on this whole move to Annabelle Lee to get your thoughts. Mm-hmm. The name. I don't like Byron Bays. Zara thinks it's the perfect name. I cringe so hard at Byron Bays. And if you're listening to this going, why? It's B-A-E-S, as in Bay yeah, significant no other. other. Way. I, I like it. There's I like simply a bit of no other way. Annabelle's oh, right. There's... I don't like it. I just don't like it. Now, Byron Bay is our celebrity capital, right? We've known that the Hemsworth live there. We've seen a whole bunch of celebrities flock to Byron Bay, particularly in the midst of the pandemic because it's kind of like a safe haven most of the time anyway for people to get away and be able to live pretty freely compared to places like the US. However, the celebrities going on this show aren't really celebrities. No, and so what was interesting is when this story dropped and the announcement was dropped, I think it was initially broken in the Sydney Morning Herald, there were rumours that Elise Knowles was going to be part of it and I was like, she's like a pretty big celebrity I would consider in Australia. But she very quickly came out and said, nah, I'm not on this. So did Ruby Tuesday Matthews, who was also rumoured. She came out and perhaps not as politely (laughs) said she wasn't part of it. In fact, her quote was, for everyone asking if I'll be on this show, I declined the offer. Goodbye, Byron. You are officially cooked. How embarrassing. Oh, so she really didn't mince her words there. The two people that have been confirmed at the moment are former Love Island contestant Elias. Do you remember him, Michelle? I do. I don't think he was a big name on the show. He wasn't. I didn't remember him by name, but remembered him by face. The other person who has been confirmed is model Jessica Vanderlee, who I do recognize the name and face of. She is pretty big on Instagram. Yeah. She also is bi-coastal. So she lives between the Northern Rivers and Sydney. Is the Northern Rivers Byron Bay? Am I going to sound really stupid right now? I don't know my geography regions that well. Yeah, yeah. It's the... the region. (laughs) (laughs) So they're the only names that we have actually locked in to do this show. And I personally, if I was the team working on Byron Bay's, would be a little bit anxious about this. They haven't even begun filming yet. Netflix announced the idea, the name for the show, the branding for the show, and there's been a whole bunch of press about it, but we don't have anyone locked in apart from those two names. My concern comes from the fact that the press has not been glowing. In fact, the press has been snarky and snide. Like lots of people are rolling their eyes. Lots of people are saying this will be the trashiest thing we've seen ever to come out of Australia. So I'm not sure that if you were one of the names who was in negotiations, if you were kind of talking to Netflix and about to sign a deal, I'm not sure that this would get you across the line if you were already umming and ahhing before it was public knowledge. Yeah, well, the SMH did report that well-placed insiders say that production are keeping a super tight lip on the cast because they are really scared that some are going to pull out ahead of scheduled filming, which is due to commence next month. I mean, when you talk about snarky reporting, how is this line from Kyle Quinn for the Sydney Morning Herald? He wrote in announcing this series, Netflix's first Australian reality TV commission, Byron Bays, will feature a cast of more than a dozen photogenic lifestyle mavens who have turned the demand to look at me into a job description. At least this time around, no No one will need to ask if they're really there for the right reasons. Raising their social media profile is the meaning of life for many of these full-time attention seekers. Jesus Christ. Even the people involved in the show, though, seem to be a little bit snarky with how they're talking about the very people that they're profiting off. Like one of the terms that was published in The Guardian from people behind the scenes on Byron Bay's was celebrity adjacent adjacent influencers. You're effectively calling the people involved in your own show D-listers. And if I was one such person about to sign, I'd be like, well, fuck you. Why do I have to give you any of my time if you're going to be so nasty about it? I heard someone else behind the show try to smart it up a little bit and say that the show will try to be self-aware, 
but will also not denigrate its own cast members. And I actually genuinely wonder if this is even possible to sort of be self-aware about sort of like the ridiculous nature of the show you're creating while also not taking the piss out of the people that are starring in it. I mean, I'm trying to think about a show that's ever done that. And to be honest, the first one that came to mind, and maybe this is so silly, but is The Hills. Yeah. I think that's a good parallel. It'll be interesting to see if it's that scripted. I mean, filming begins next month. It's a docu-soap, so I think it will be quite scripted. Right. The local community is not happy at all about this. <laughs> Surprise. O- over 4,000 people at the time of recording have signed a petition asking for the Netflix team to actually not be given permission by the local council to film on by. Byron Ballinart Tweed or Liz Morshire property. So the quote from the petition was, we are a community experiencing significant challenges driven by influencer culture and rapidly shifting demographics of residents. We do not want to be cast as the perfect backdrop and magnet for social media influencers. We do not want to appear in Byron Bay's. Really interesting. I know that we talk about influencers flocking to Byron. I always thought that it was just kind of social media hype or just like people kind of pointing to Byron and be like, oh, it's a photogenic place. People flock there. But local residents are legitimately concerned about how many influencers are flocking to town. Absolutely. But I have to say, I think that ship has sailed. Like, I don't think a Netflix show is going to do anything more than Instagram's already done. Like, if you consider how many people are going to watch this show compared to how many people follow influencers from Byron Bay on the platform, they're going to be completely incomparable. Mm. Like, I think it's easy to consider Netflix as like a mainstream media thing that's broadcasting this to everyone, but everybody's already seen this already. Like, I understand why Byron residents who have been there for decades feel like these new kind of influences are selling a Byron utopia that's just simply not true. But I'm just not sure there's any going back now. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of LA, that you see all the glitter, you see all the beautiful stuff going on. That's all very front facing, but behind the scenes, there's actually some trouble under the surface with how things are running. Like I read some quotes about homelessness, about crime, about domestic violence in Byron Bay, about the skyrocketing prices of houses and the shrinking rental market that means that people who have lived in Byron Bay for decades are literally being pushed out. And that's kind of sad that we've really commodified this easygoing lifestyle. And instead of Byron Bay being this easygoing place, it's now just a vacuum of celebrity. Yeah, I agree with you, particularly given how many people with money are buying up property there. Like all you have to do is look at the Hemsworths, the Matt Damons, the Zac Zac Efron's. You're absolutely right. I think there was a piece in the ABC in 2019 and this came after. Do you remember that incredible Vanity Fair profile on the Byron Bay Murphys? We covered it pretty extensively on the podcast, which basically went to interview a bunch of Byron Bay influencers about their life and ended up sort of, how do we say this nicely? Oh, she doesn't want to use the V word. What was the V word? Oh, viral. It went viral. Absolutely went viral. Oh, I would happily use that. (laughs) It completely denigrated these influencers. And so in response to that, the ABC interviewed a lot of Byron Bay locals and One of these people that they interviewed was an anonymous mental health worker who said that people come to Byron Bay with huge dreams and end up suffering from depression because the dream has been shattered or because Byron Bay wasn't the answer to their problems. It's undeniable that a utopian image is continuing to be sold and projected. It really makes me wonder, circling back to the show itself, whether it will show Byron as a utopia or as gritty as it is, because it is a pretty gritty place, all things considered. Yeah, absolutely. Come and tell us on your Safe Friday. We will put up the polls on our Instagram account at Shameless Podcast tomorrow. Will you watch this? Because the last time we spoke about a reality show featuring Instagram stars, your answer was a resounding no. We polled you about the reality show coming out of the Hembrow family and 78% of shameless listeners, we polled tens of thousands of you and 78% said you wouldn't watch a show about 
Hembrows. Would you watch the Byron Bates? Would you guys? Like, Annabelle, are oh, you going to yeah. watch this? Curiosity will get the better of me. I don't care. I wouldn't. Yeah, you will. And yes, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's all we've got time for. I probably will end up being a liar on that. <laughs> guys, thank you so much for listening to today's show. If you want to support us, the best way to do that is tell a friend. If you found something in this episode interesting, send them a link to the show or talk about it over your desks at work today. Yeah, absolutely. You can find us on Spotify and you can hit that big green button that says follow. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts. You can hit that big purple button that says subscribe. You'll also find us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. Any other plugs we want to push out? I don't know. Love you guys. <laughs> I love you too. That was Annabelle, <laughs> not Michelle. <laughs> yeah, in case you continuously mistake their voices. <laughs> hey guys, we'll be back in your ears for our last in conversation for a while on Monday, and then it's scandal time. So see you then. Woohoo! Bye. Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week. Now, every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, <laughs> each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to... To our show, please do head to your favorite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.